Florida Matters is supported by WUSF members just like you. Your donation of $5 or $25 will help ensure public radio thrives. And thanks to Candy Olson, an additional $50 will be added to your donation. Visit WUSF.org slash match to maximize your gift today. Welcome to Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. About 200 Florida Panthers are alive today. National Geographic magazine calls it America's most endangered cat, and efforts to save the panther are featured in the April issue. My colleague Steve Newborn spoke with two people profiled in that piece. Carlton Ward Jr. is a conservation photographer. Brian Kelly is a panther biologist with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. Steve met Carlton and Brian at Fish Eating Creek. It's a narrow ribbon of preserved panther habitat just west of Lake Okeechobee. We're sitting on the edge of Fish Eating Creek. It's a uh, tannic acid stained creek that's flowing into Lake Okeechobee, not too far away. Gentlemen, welcome to Florida Matters. Thanks. Good to be here. Thanks, Steve. Carlton, let's start with you. You've been photographing these panthers for five years now. What is it about them that you find so interesting? Well, it's a real challenge, for one. And to me, the panther is a symbol of these wild places that it's easy to forget that we have here in Florida. You know, I have a lot of pride in that as a Floridian, that we have the last puma east of the Mississippi River here in in southern Florida. But I think it represents the large connected landscapes that we have a chance to still protect here amidst a frenzy of development and 22 million residents and 130 million annual visitors. But still we have places as wild as this and an animal like the panther that can remind us and show us what we have a chance to protect. Brian, you worked in South Africa before where you have these uh, incredible charismatic megafauna. Then you come back to Florida and, well, we don't have elephants, we don't have hippos, don't have giraffes. Any kind of a letdown seeing something that small compared to these huge, fascinating beasts that you had seen in South Africa? Here, a panther sighting you might compare to a leopard sighting there, whereas you might see a leopard in certain places one a day in the African bush. You're never going to see a panther every single day, no matter how much time you spend out in South Florida's wild places. They're just a harder animal to see. But along with that comes a bit of the appeal of trying to figure out about them, learn about them without necessarily observing them firsthand all the time. And that leads to the kind of work that I do with tracking and camera trapping to figure out what these animals are doing when you can't see them. So you guys are the stars, along with the panther, of this month's National Geographic feature. How do you feel about seeing this in print? For me, it's really exciting to have this story in the pages of National Geographic and a form that I know our state's leaders can look at it, digest it, and get inspired by it. It's my hope through this work, through these images, through the stories and the characters that are in this, like Brian, like ranchers, like Carrie Lightsey or Jane Lawless or Elton Langford, like David Schendel, Alex Johns, all heroes to me who are out there on the front lines of conservation in Florida to have their voices be shared in this story in a, 
I don't know. I'm, I don't have an objective view on it because I've spent the past five years of my life working on the cameras to try to get to this point. But from the reception the story is getting with the people that we're able to share it with, I think it's a really important step in the right direction. It's going to be a huge relief for you personally. You've been out there for five years in the swamps, and it's taken you, what, about a year to get the shot from each of the camera traps? Is that right? I wish it was that easy, <laughs> but it's uh, for... For me, um, some of these shots of, yeah, I'd say about two years is the average on the pictures that you see in the pages of the magazine. To capture an image of a panther walking through some of these places might happen every one or two months. But then to get it with some level of daylight that gives that depth and beauty to the surrounding landscape, that only happens a few times a year. And then to get it facing in the direction of a camera where you can get some of the character and feeling of the animal, that's a once a year, twice a year type of opportunity. And then you have to have a pretty complicated camera system actually operate at the exact instant that the panther comes through. So there's been a lot of failure, a lot of misses, and a few pictures that are now on the pages of National Geographic. Some of those pictures are just amazing. The lead picture of the one panther crawling through the, this tannic acid-stained creek is just, just beautiful. When you see that when you're on those camera traps when you're out there, how do you feel? <laughs> so I probably need to talk to a therapist about this, but I'm not like immediately excited about it because I'm so conditioned to failure. Every time I walk up to that camera every two weeks over a period of time, like more often than not, a bear's knocked it over, a log's fallen on it, a rodent's chewed through the wires. So often something doesn't work, I'm always, I'm like guarded with my enthusiasm. So when that picture kind of jumps off the back of the camera and it's like, oh my gosh, there's a panther in a perfect light coming right towards me. I can feel it coming here. At first, it's kind of a sigh of relief, like whew, it didn't mess up. And it takes a few weeks for that to kind of seep in and realize you have something that can help hold up the story. How about you, Brian? When you finally come across those tracks after walking through the swamps for who knows how long, I mean, does that trigger something in your inner psyche? Yeah, it probably is something primarily satisfying about being able to find an animal that you've been looking for for so long. Growing up here and knowing Florida, I'm used to this. I'm used to places like Fish Eating Creek. Um, but also having traveled internationally and spent time in international wild places, talking to people, telling them where I'm from, they're completely shocked to hear that there are even wild places in Florida. Their image of Florida is is high-rises, condos on beaches, and packed beaches, um, and that's, that's how they think of it. Um, they don't even know that there is this whole other part of Florida that is still wild, one of the wildest places left in the eastern half of the United States. Brian, we've recently seen the first female sighting of a panther north of the Caloosahatchee River. How important is that to the survival of the species? It's incredibly important. So the panther's historic range went throughout Florida. The last remaining holdout these last few decades was in South Florida, south of the Caloosahatchee. But in order for the panther to maintain a sustainable population, there probably isn't enough space south of the Caloosahatchee River. So it's essential that panthers expand and recolonize parts of their historic range north of the Caloosahatchee into central Florida. Which leads me to Carlton Ward. Uh, a lot of your work has been uh, noted for the Florida Wildlife Corridor, trying to preserve migration corridors through the state before the rampant development we're seeing closes them forever. Do you believe the panthers have a chance to survive if these corridors are not preserved soon? I think protecting 
more land within the Florida Wildlife Corridor is our best hope for the panther's range to continue expanding northward. Florida has a remarkable opportunity. We have 27% public land. So there's a lot of stepping stones of big habitats like this, like Fish Eating Creek, like Kissimmee Prairie State Preserve, like Ocala National Forest, on up the peninsula. And what the Wildlife Corridor can do is help tie all that together so that the core population in Big Cypress and Calicoochee Slough and areas to the south can remain connected throughout the state. What's going to happen if we say that we've done enough land conservation in Florida? These big tracts of public land are going to become islands surrounded by development. And that's not good for panthers, for wildlife, or for people. Seeing what the panther needs, seeing that it needs these vast interconnected habitats, can show us why we need to do more to invest conservation easements on working lands like ranches and groves and timberlands, why we need to expand our public preserves in certain areas. And in doing so, we can end up having really a path northward for recovery. You're listening to Florida Matters. Today's show is about efforts to save the Florida panther. And conversations like these are made possible by the generosity of WUSF listeners like you. Here's how you can help. This is Florida Matters. I'm Bradley George. Today, we're bringing you a conversation with WUSF Steve Newborn, conservation photographer Carlton Ward Jr., and panther biologist Brian Kelly. As panthers migrate north of the Caloosahatchee into central Florida, what kind of perils are we seeing that they're facing? That it has to explore. It doesn't know what's way it's around. It, it doesn't know how to avoid dangers in the beginning. That's kind of the first obstacle for an individual panther. The population as a whole, the big challenge is finding wild spaces. Prey is not necessarily the issue. It's that habitat connectivity. All right, and car deaths are obviously a big uh, issue. There's a beautiful spread in the National Geographic article that has the migration pathways through the Florida Wildlife Corridor, and also a lot of panther deaths there on the roads, especially State Road 29 by Corkscrew Swamp. So one of the main issues has been developing wildlife underpasses under roads. Do you think this is a critical need? Because we're only a mile from US-27 and you have these huge trucks going by left and right. Certainly the wildlife underpasses have been shown to be effective south of the river um, and mitigating uh, panther vehicle collisions and other wildlife vehicle collisions. So certainly strategically placed wildlife underpasses are also going to help maintain the connectivity of habitat, not just for panther, but for other animals as well. Yes, FWC's research and even my cameras have really documented how these wildlife underpasses work. But a wildlife underpass can't work unless you have protected, connected habitat on both sides of the road. So I think people can focus on the technical solution of building the underpass, but unless the land on each side of that crossing is in permanent conservation status, whether that be public land or conservation easement, the state's not going to invest in building a very expensive crossing structure. But we need to be looking at the big connected corridor that comes down and meets those places. Right. We're here in Fish Eating Creek Wildlife Management Area. It's a narrow ribbon of land here surrounded by ranches on each side. The path we just walked down, there's a barbed wire fence with a huge ranch on the other side. How critical are the ranchers in the effort to preserve them? And are they fearful of these big predators taking some of their calves? I mean, how do we deal with that? It's a legitimate concern. Panthers are known to kill calves, and that can affect people's livelihoods. 
Ranches also provide an incredible amount of wildlife habitat and put a lot of effort into managing habitat for wildlife in addition to cattle. They are essential pieces of the puzzle in that patchwork of different types of land ownerships, land management practices to keep enough land available for wildlife in general and in particular the panther. Carl, you've worked with ranchers all your life. You come from a family of ranchers that go way back. How many generations has your family been here? I'm eighth generation of my family in Florida, and we still have a small cattle ranch, and I have a lot of cousins who are full-time ranchers. That's the only life they've known. So how critical are ranchers to this effort, and are they on your side, or are they fearful of having a big predator out there. We have these arguments out west about reintroducing mountain lions, and a lot of the ranchers out there are pretty dead set against that. How's that going here? Well, there are nearly 5 million acres of ranch land in Florida, a lot of ranchers and a lot of different attitudes. There are some ranchers who are appropriately anxious about having a predator return to the landscape. I also think there is a growing recognition amongst ranchers that they themselves are also an endangered species in the state of Florida. And what some might say were unlikely allies for this kind of conservation. But a lot of the ranchers that I talk to and spend time with see that the development is coming. And if the panther can help get more funding for conservation easements and land protection, they welcome the panther as a way to help protect their way of life as well. Brian, how many panthers are estimated to be in the state? The current population estimate is in the range of 120 to 230 adults or subadults south of the Caloosahatchee River. And that's up from a historic low back in the 70s of how much? Yeah, there may have been fewer than 30 panthers in the 1970s and into the 80s. And there was a uh, kind of a controversial at the time reintroduction program where uh, mountain lions or pumas from West Texas were brought in to interbreed with the Florida panther, and that was considered really a success, but there was some concern from some quarters at the time that this wasn't a Florida panther anymore. It was really a mountain lion from out west. So genetic restoration was essential for the health of the panther population. There's a legitimate viewpoint that if you bring in those Texas cougar genes, that it's not going to be the same genetic animal that it was before that. That's countered with the idea that historically gene flow would have occurred between pumas in Texas and Florida. And so those genes in Texas would have naturally been occurring here as well. People can debate that till the cows come home. It's been done. Those genes are in the population, and Florida panthers are here. And that's where we stand now. You know, Brian's been talking about the Caloosahatchee River and the significance of those female panthers moving north. And there's an area where we're going to visit later where we're, we have a camera trap set up beneath a road crossing. And in that landscape... You're coming up out of public land, and then you have a cattle ranch under conservation easement, and another cattle ranch under conservation easement. Then on the other side of the Caloosahatchee, you have an orange grove under conservation easement. All these easements have been done to make sure those lands will never be developed so that you have a green corridor for panthers and other wildlife. What's between here and there is a big cattle ranch that is not yet protected by a conservation easement. But it's one of the top things on the list for our state government to invest in. And if that easement can be secured, then you will have contiguous protected land going from south side of the Caloosahatchee River all the way to Fish Eating Creek. And then from there, there are two or three other ranches that could be put under conservation easement that would tie into another 50,000 acres of protected land. There's a puzzle here and just a few missing pieces where you really start to tie things together. 
But the money to get those missing pieces of the puzzle may not be there. The legislature is looking at chopping the Florida Forever Fund to $50 million, which is down from a historic level of about $300 million. Why is that? Is is the message not getting to the politicians? My opinion is that if our leaders would come for a walk with Brian or with me in a place like this, these programs would be funded at a higher level. It's easy to look at numbers on a sheet of paper and come to the conclusion that Florida has enough protected land. But when you look at how it fits together and you look at how much return you can get from making an investment in a single area because it connects a lot of bigger areas, this is a common sense solution and it's, a, it's an infrastructure investment for the future of Florida. And I don't think we in the conservation community have adequately communicated that. But seeing this and seeing it through the eyes of the Florida Panther and seeing it from the perspective of wildlife corridors, I think can really bring back the enthusiasm for more investment in conservation in Florida. What encourages me is that the Panther recovery story is a huge success story, as opposed to large carnivore conservation in the rest of the world, where it's very often a doom and gloom story of populations decreasing populations on the verge of extinction. The panther is the opposite of that. The panther has been a huge success thanks to the people of Florida and many biologists that came before me. The panther is in a much better situation than it was 20, 30 years ago. And that is the the big encouraging and the, the big success story of it all. Carlton, do you uh, sound similarly optimistic about the future of the panther and the future of saving places like this? I am optimistic, but I'm also realistic about how soon we need to act to protect some of these places because the development is coming quickly and because of the shape of Florida and because the development that's happened up to now, there are places where we'll lose that connectivity in the coming decade or two if we don't make an intentional effort to conserve them. The panther is part of Florida culture. It's our state animal. It's not a manatee. It might come in your backyard and eat your pet goat or It can present a threat potentially to a rancher, but it is a point of pride for Floridians. This is a conservation success story that belongs to Florida and Floridians, and this can be a real model of nature and people working together. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being out here on Fish Eating Creek and under this beautiful cypress tree and telling us about the Florida Panthers. Pleasure, Steve. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. That was WUSF Steve Newborn speaking with Carlton Ward Jr., a conservation photographer, and Brian Kelly, a panther biologist with the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission. Their work is featured in the April issue of National Geographic magazine. And that's Florida Matters for this week. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Bradley George. Here's how you can support WUSF.